Dads, happy Father's Day to you. It's a special day for you. We also understand that some of you, this is not the day that you look forward to because it's a painful memory or just a a sadness that overcomes you. But aren't we glad that in a place like this, we can come together and worship the Almighty Father that loves us and cares for us no matter what. And maybe that's just a comfort for you today, knowing that maybe earthly dad wasn't that great, but your Heavenly Father loves you a great deal. So we're going to have some fun this morning, and I want to pick a fight in church this morning. Can we do that? All right. You guys are the half. No, I'm just kidding. We're not doing that one. You know, favoritism is one of those things that we're going to talk about today, and we have favorite things, do we not? I believe there's a song. I'm not going to sing it. These are a few of my favorite things. We've been trained from the beginning of time, our time specifically, to have things that are favorites. Uh, There are some stories that shall go unspoken about things that I could not go on without until I had it. Life did not exist for my parents until I was satisfied with my favorite something. And sometimes that dealt with food and sometimes that dealt with material possessions. But I want to pick a fight in church. Can we do that? No fisticuffs this morning. Okay. Husbands and wives, this is not your time to elbow one another. But if I said, pick your favorite football team, you would say, and you would all be right or wrong. Because if I said, roll tide, then I'm going to hear a, if I say, go Vanderbilt, then you're going to say, all right, so all these things. Now, what if I said, pick your favorite hamburger? Where are we going for, where are we going for the hamburgers? All right. See what happens? Everybody feels good about their choice until somebody says, no, you're crazy. We have this ongoing discussion in the office that Sam Mallory cannot get enough of In-N-Out Burger. That's his favorite place to go. I think Ruth Ann thinks that it actually, that's the only thing in California that exists for the first 10 minutes of their visit to California. And uh, Sam, wherever you are, I know you're going to say amen here in a second. But when I go to Texas... There's a Whataburger right on the border. Amen. And so the first 10 seconds in Texas, I'm stopping at the W. And I'm not talking about George Bush's house. <laughs> we have these favorite things. What if I said music? Oh, now see, now we're fighting. Because some of you would say R&B, some of you say country, some of you say rock and roll. But if you said rock and roll, you'd have to specify like modern day, classic rock, Grunge rock, hairband rock. We'd have all kinds of things. You know, and, some, and then we'd have the Christian music. Yes, we can't forget the Christian music. How dare we go <laughs> to church without that? You know, on the surface, we would think, you know, nobody cares about the favorite stuff. If I have a favorite football team, if I have a favorite hamburger, if I have a favorite music, we don't care. But you know, sometimes people do care. And the way that we treat things and the elevation that we give to certain things can sometimes alienate people because we love our something so much that we will negate everything else because our love for our favorite, whatever the case may be. You know, and that's fine, like, to have a favorite football team. It's great to have a favorite burger. It's great to have a favorite music. But you know, sometimes there are people that will take that love for a sport too far that love for a hamburger place way too far, that love for music way too far. Do you know that even in church, when it comes to music, we have our way too far conversations? You would think that, you know, man, it's, it's okay, but we have our favorites. We have that. But when it comes to people, 
we really have to be careful the favoritism that comes out from inside us. As we read through the book of James and we're looking at practical wisdom that you can take out of this place right now and walk out into the world and use, favoritism is one of the most subtle sins that we all struggle with and we don't even recognize it. We don't even believe it to be the case. But I believe the book of James, if you want to go ahead and turn there, we're going to be in James chapter 2. James tells us that this is a deadly, dangerous, and eternally consequent of sin. I think I just created a new word there. But we have to look at it from one thing. So for instance, let's, let me put this to you this way. If a person walked into the church that we would say is less than desirable, what would your approach be? Would you engage that person and say, hello and good to see you, welcome, please find a seat, come sit by me? If a person less than desirable you walked in, would you kind of do like the Good Samaritan story, the first couple guys that kind of walked on the other side of the, the, the wall there and kind of avoided contact? In the day and age of technology, would you fake a phone call? Would you actually welcome them into your presence? What if they were a person of a different skin color, a different religion, a different social group, or as James talks about, a different economic status? See, it's all fun and games, and we laugh sometimes, but then we get into the thing, and I got to be honest, when I started reading James chapter 2, I've read this book dozens and dozens of times. But God began to convict me this week about some of the unspoken favoritism that I've shown in my life just by the way that I engage people and not knowing that what I'm doing is I'm showing favoritism to my way and my belief and my, my securities at the expense of other people that need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as we go through our life, as we look at practical wisdom, one of the things that James says right here at the beginning is watch out for how you show favoritism. So let's look together in James chapter 2. We're going to read the first few verses together. We'll kind of break it down a little bit as we go. But James chapter 2, starting at verse 1, says, My brothers, do not show favoritism as you hold on to the faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. For example, if a man comes into your meeting and wearing a gold ring and dressed in fine clothes, and a poor man dressed in dirty clothes also comes in, if you look to the one wearing the fine clothes and say, sit in the good place, and yet say to the poor man, stand over there, or sit on the floor by my footstool, haven't you just discriminated against or among yourselves and become the judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers, didn't God choose the poor in this world to, to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom that he promised to those who love him? Yet you dishonored the poor man. Don't the rich oppress you and drag you into the courts? Don't they blaspheme the noble name that was pronounced over you at your baptism? You know, I read these first seven verses. I, I sometimes, I have to really question myself. Am I trying to play God? Am I trying to choose who gets to experience the gospel? Am I trying to be God and get to choose who experiences grace and love and forgiveness and mercy? all the while forgetting that God gives that to me daily. I don't possess it. I don't have a, a bank of it. God gives me and invests in me to invest in others. 
But if I show favoritism to anyone, regardless of their economic status, regardless of anything that you may want to throw status, if I show favoritism to my people or my way of life or my belief system and not show them the gospel and the love and care of Jesus Christ, I'm sinning. Because what I'm incapable of doing in that moment is looking beyond what is visible. This is not something that's new. Go all the way back to the time where Samuel was anointing David to be the next king. Some of you know that story very well. For those of you who don't, there's this moment in Scripture where the next king of Israel is trying to be chosen. Samuel has been told, go find the next king and I will bring him before you and you will anoint him and he will become the king of these people. Samuel goes and finds this family, this family, and he goes and he stands before the dad and the sons and he says, well, bring out your boys because one of these guys is about to become king of Israel. So like a proud dad, he goes and he, he picks his sons uh, from the field or from the, from the house and they come stand before him and there's the tall one there, and there's the athletic one and there's the well-spoken one and there's the musically inclined one and, and then there's, the, there's this guy and, there's, and all of a sudden he's going through all the sons and God has not said anything yet. And he looks and he says, is there, is there anybody else? He says, well, there's my son, David. And so as David is being sent for, God has this moment with Samuel. And he says this in 1 Samuel 16, 7. He says, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at the appearance or stature because I have rejected them. Man does not see what the Lord sees for man sees what is visible, but the Lord sees the heart. As we get into some of these issues of favoritism, we're talking about we're showing favoritism. What we're doing is we're, we're focusing on the outside and we're not looking at the heart of the person. Some of you have come in this morning and you have been the victim of being favoritized and you have been the victim of somebody looked at you and said, they're not worthy of the gospel. They're not worthy of God's grace. And I'm telling you that God is here to tell you this morning, you are incredibly worthy of his grace. You are incredibly worthy of his love because he looks at your heart and he sees the creation that he made and he loves you and he wants to be with you. And we as a church, I have to be honest, sometimes we as a church, we have to ask your forgiveness because we have shown favoritism. We may not like to think, and it's not like we're going to put it on a business card, but we are guilty of showing favoritism as we as a church, we don't want to be that church. We want to be the church that looks at the heart of people and says, no matter who you are, what side of the tracks you come from, no matter your economic status, your political system, your, your skin tone, whatever the case may be, we're looking at your heart and you have a heart that belongs to God. We want to minister to you because we care about what God sees, not what we see. And we have to be like that. God tells Isaiah in a vision that he and Isaiah are having also in the Old Testament. God says, Isaiah, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. This is the Lord's declaration. If I show favoritism to you, then I am not in tune with the Lord's will. I am not in tune with the Lord's heart. And I am in, in risk of not only eternally damaging you, but myself as well. Friends, those of you who've been in church for a long time, this first point's for you. If we begin to show favoritism to every single person, or we begin to show favoritism to a certain group of people, whatever the case may be, when we show favoritism, we are limiting who God is bringing into our midst and into our lives. We are limiting being able to see what God is doing around us because we can't get past ourselves. 
And it's amazing if we can get beyond ourselves and into what God is doing, the whole world has just opened up for us. A lot of opportunities have opened up for us because we are going to be given an opportunity to show the gospel to people that never thought they were worthy of it, and many of them didn't even know it existed. And we get to be that. I love the movie Patch Adams. Anybody seen that movie? Long time ago, late 90s movie, Robin Williams. He was one of my favorite actors growing up, at least on the clean movies that he did. But he had this movie, Patch Adams, and I loved it. And, and one of the first parts of the movie is that Patch goes into a mental hospital and he meets this man named Arthur Mendelssohn. And Arthur had kind of the, the weird beginning because he walked up to him and he put his hand in his face and said, what do you see? How many fingers? And everybody thought he was just crazy. And so this went on for quite a while and, you know, Arthur kind of would go in the corner and nobody wanted to be him because they were like, that's the crazy guy. Just pass him off. He's the crazy man. Leave him here. That's why he's here. And yet Patch was like, there's more to that. So he sits down in this moment and he sits down and he says, what is the answer to the riddle? And so finally he gets him to see beyond the four fingers and then he saw eight fingers. And he said, you know, it's too many times we look at the problem. We're not looking at the solution. But then he says this, and this was a challenge to me. Because I think this is, this is something that God would say too to us. He said, see what no one else sees. See what everyone chooses not to see. Out of fear or conformity or laziness. See the whole world anew each day. That would be a great prayer for us every morning. God, help me to see what you see. Help me before I step out of this bed, before I step out of this house, before I step out of this car, to see the world anew each day, to see the people that nobody else wants to see, whether they're being lazy or they're, they're trying to conform or whatever the case may be. God, that you would show me the people that you need to minister to that you have allowed me to cross their path. Sometimes I can't see people because I can't get past my vision. And I want to get past my vision to see God's people and God's vision. If we're showing favoritism, we're overlooking relationships that may be brought to us by God. We may also not be seeing the heart of a person. And that can happen both ways. Some of us, we know some flashy people, right? You know the people that are well put together? You know the people that have it all going on, but if you really looked at their heart, they're broken. You know, too many times I've been in churches, whether as a family member or as a church leader, we've known the flashy families, the ones that have it all together, they always sit in the front, the ones that, you know, they always seem to have the right answers. But, you know, as I got to know some of those families, as I got to know their, their, their husbands and the wives and the children, that was an outfit they put on on Sunday mornings. Maybe not a physical outfit, but a spiritual one just to make it look right. Then you get into their heart and you see, man, there's something going on there. They have this need for Jesus Christ. Some of us have been guilty of that. We, we put on the, the church clothes, if we will. We put on the happy face. At the heart of us, we're broken. And I want to tell you, if you're here today, whether you're a guest or you're a ministry partner, you've been here with us a long time, you're in a good place because all of us in here Either we are or we were broken, and we are or we were searching for Jesus, and we have or we will soon find him, and you are in the right place. Showing favoritism is a dangerous, dangerous sin. 
one that costs us a lot of things. It shows us really in, in the book of James, as we fast forward to the timeline of the New Testament, it really also shows us the distance that the original church had come, in Acts, come from in Acts chapter 2. Because when the church started in Acts 2, there was this the phrasing that, that is written that Paul writes here, in, or excuse me, that Luke writes in Acts, and he's talking about the beginning of the church, and he says this. He says, now all believers, this is the first church that ever existed, all believers were together and had everything in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed things and proceeds as anyone had a need. They didn't care where you came from. They didn't care what your background was. If you came to church and you had a need, they took care of you. If you weren't the most favorable person in the society or in the city, but you came to church, then they loved you and they cared for you. The key words here are they were all together. They were together, everything in common. And then they used the word any, any person any situation. We want you in our church. We need you in our church. We function better with you in our church. And I would say that's where we as a fellowship, that's where we want to be, that we're all in this together. And we don't want to show favoritism. We just want to come together and be believers of Jesus. You know, I was saying that just a second ago that if I commit the, the dangerous sin of favoritism, that, that it's going to cost me eternally. Let me, let me show you this in a visual. How many of you love sports? How many of you love the Titans? Some of you don't want to admit that, but you're about to because you're about to get on to me. Many years ago, the Titans were in the Super Bowl. They had the last drive. It was going great. Things were clicking. People were getting excited. Popcorn was flowing. Other things were flowing too, but we're not talking about those. We, as Titan fans, were about to win the greatest game there ever is. And then this happened. By measurement, it is just over a yard short. That stings, doesn't it? Some of you flash back to that moment where you were, the house you were at, the, the church you were at, the party you were at. You remember the devastation that that felt like when you fell one yard short. Yet in scripture, when we sin and we are absent of a relationship with God, we fall out of his glory by one. And I want to tell you right now, when it comes to favoritism, my encouragement to all of us, whether we know each other well, or we're just getting to know one another, let's don't lose by one. Let's don't lose by one relationship that we should have had. But we were too proud in our favoritism. We were too proud in our ways that we didn't extend a, the love and compassion of Jesus. But let's especially don't lose by one where one sin keeps us away from the glory of God. Join me back in James chapter 2. We're going to pick it up in verse 8. It says this. It says, Indeed, if you keep the royal law prescribed in the Scripture love your neighbor as yourself, then you are doing well. But if you show favoritism, you commit sin and are, con are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the entire law but yet fails in this one point is guilty of breaking everything. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. So if you do not commit adultery but you do murder, then you are a lawbreaker. So catch what James is saying here. One sin equals breaking the entire law. 
Just one. And that one sin that you broke keeps you totally and eternally separated from God. Unless you have a relationship with Jesus Christ who forgives, who loves, who gives grace, who gives mercy. But some of us, we forget that part and we kind of compartmentalize our sins, do we not? This one's not so bad. I'm not that guy that just got arrested for breaking out of jail and killing guys. I'm not that bad. God said, don't compare the... Don't compare sins. This isn't the comparison game. If you broke my law, you broke my law, and we're eternally separated until you have something that gets you back. And that something is that relationship with Jesus Christ. We have to be careful. It's a tough pill to swallow. One sin? One sin? That's all it takes? That's all it takes to be eternally separated from God. I have this vision. I know I share with you often, but I have this vision when I get to heaven that we're all going to be standing in line, we're all going to be in the gathering place, something, and we're going to see the parade of people that are going to go to hell. We're going to watch them. It is going to be devastating to see the people that we came to church with that did not have a relationship with Christ, that failed and missed heaven by one. I don't want that to be for you. I don't want that to be for me. I don't want that to be for anybody else. So if we're breaking God's law, that alone is enough to separate us. But you know, when we show favoritism and we break the law in this particular way, it's not just us that's being damaged. I break God's law because I show the sin of favoritism, but I'm also keeping somebody or a multitude of somebody's from experiencing God's grace because of my pride and my ignorance. So now when they go to hell and I have to watch them, my tears will flow because I missed out on an opportunity because of the sin that was present in my life that I didn't realize at the time. And I'm so grateful, even though this is the weirdest Father's Day message ever, that we are together here saying, if we can avoid showing favoritism and we could just love people regardless of what they look like, regardless of what they smell like, regardless of what their economic status or anything about them, we would simply love people then heaven will be filled with folks that the fellowship helped organize the invitation. And that's the church I want to be a part of. That's the Christian that I want to be. That's the disciple of Christ that I'm demanded to be. I want to be that the favoritism does not exist. And I got to be honest with you, this is convicting to me. And maybe you're only sitting here getting my week's worth of study, and if that's the case, prayerfully it helps you in some way, but I don't want to be what I just got through reading. I don't want to be that, that guy. James writes, he says, if you keep the royal law prescribed, love your neighbor as yourself. So the antidote for favoritism, be like Jesus. Sounds simple, right? Sounds easy. Let's just be like Jesus. Anybody have those WWJD bracelets? You might find them at a garage sale for like a nickel. Back in the day, I think you'd get one for like $10. We always ask ourselves the question, what would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? Well, let's look at Scripture and see what Jesus would do. James says this in chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. He says, in every way you, for in everything that you say and you do, remember that you will be judged by the law that makes people free. So you must show mercy to others. Or God will not show mercy to you when he judges you. 
But the person who shows mercy can, can stand without fear at the judgment. To me, there's no better story of this than the relationship that Jesus had with Matthew. An opportunity for somebody to show favoritism, specifically Jesus, to either show favoritism or to show grace and mercy. Jesus says this, and, and Matthew records his words in chapter 20, verse 28. He says, The Son of Man didn't come to serve, or to come to be served, but to serve, and give his life as a ransom for many. But then Matthew also records the time that Jesus came to his house right after he followed him for the first time. And he says this, I'm going to read it quick. He says, While we were reclining at the table, he being Jesus, was reclining at the table, many tax collectors, friends of Matthew, and sinners came as guests to eat with Jesus and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they began to ask some questions of the disciples, saying, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Which in itself is a question of favoritism because it's like, you guys are the favorite sinners, you tax collectors, and then you have the generic sinners over here. But yet, Jesus, you got both of them at the table. What's going on? And Jesus heard this. He looked at them and he said, You know what? Those who are well don't need a doctor, but the sick do. Go and learn what this means, that I desire mercy, not sacrifice. I didn't come to call the righteous, but I came to call the sinners. For us, our calling is those of us that have come to know Jesus Christ as brothers and sisters in the gospel. Our calling is to live a life that we help sinners find Jesus. But not at the expense of we're up here and they're down here, because we have to remind ourselves daily that we still sin. We are still in need of God's grace and his mercy. We are still sinners. But we are called to help sinners find Jesus Christ. Remember a few weeks ago I was talking to us, and I, I shared this, and I, I'm very serious. Our job is not to play the Holy Spirit. Our job is not to be the one that is the judge and jury or the executioner, although we play that role pretty well. Our, jo our job, our responsibility, our calling let me change the phrasing, our opportunity to live in this world, to have the freedom that we enjoy, the grace that we so enjoy, is so that every person that you know could have an opportunity to come to know Jesus just like you. And if I don't wake up each day thinking that, I'm not sure I'm really following the God the way I'm supposed to be following him. Showing favoritism is a subtle sin that I had... I really hadn't even noticed, but God exposed it to me this week. And I'm praying that maybe God has exposed that in your life. But the great news is that Jesus Christ, and through a relationship with him, not only can forgive you, but can help you overcome it. And you know me, I like to leave you with some applications, so let me do that this morning. How do we do this? How are we going to move through this? How are we going to get past this? First thing is, we got to pray about it. We need to pray and ask God every day or every moment or every situation that you come, across and, and come in connection with, every moment, pray and ask God to give you the ability to see beyond your own ability. Ask God at your business that you work, and you got some coworkers that you know do not know Jesus Christ, help me to see beyond the things that they do that annoy me and into the opportunities that you've given me to share the gospel. My family, my situation, it's not great, but God, help me to have that ability to see beyond what happened in the past, to see the opportunities of grace that I can share with them because you've given it to me. We must pray every day to do that. It's a tough prayer sometimes, isn't it? 
We got to do it. Second thing is to ask for forgiveness where we have broken God's law. You know, I have to admit, I've broken God's law quite a bit in my lifetime. For those of you who thought I was perfect, now you know. But for every time I've broken the law, when I was truly repentant, and I gave that sin over to the Lord, and I said, I need a relationship with you more than I need this sin in my life, this relationship in my life that's leaving me away, this situation that's pulling me away from your grace and your goodness, when I placed my life in God's hands, there was forgiveness, there was love, there was mercy, there was compassion, there was support. There were all the things that I needed that I was looking for in something else, but yet God had it for me the whole time. I've got to ask God for forgiveness where I've broken his law. For some of you, you need to hear the scripture this morning that says that for all have sinned. So look around you right now. Look around the room. Feel free. Look around. I know there's some pretty people around you. Check them out, everything, whatever you got to do, okay? Every single person in this room, we've all broken God's law. We all need Jesus. And this morning, if you've broken God's law or you realize that there's some sin in your life that you have never really laid at God's feet, then I encourage you to join us at one of these crosses on the side. If you're in the mezzanine, some folks up there, there's a cross up there, that you would join us this morning in praying together and leave it at the cross saying, God, I've broken your law and I don't want to do this anymore. And through the cross of Jesus, you would find grace and healing and salvation. But you have to be willing to speak up and admit it. And the last one... Simply be like Jesus. Show love when you don't feel like being loving. Show mercy when people don't really deserve it. Show grace, giving second, third, fifth, 25th chances, even though they don't deserve it. Why? Because neither did we. As a pastor of a church, as a church leader for a long time, can I just be honest with you? I don't deserve God's mercy. Just because I stand here and I have a microphone or just because I work here and I get to do some really cool stuff, that doesn't gain me any like higher up on the food chain when it comes to the mercy scale. I need mercy just like you do. So let me give it to you just like Jesus gave it to me. Let me be like Jesus for you. Show care and concern. Be someone, be Jesus for someone who has yet to meet Jesus. That's an investment in relationship. Let's, let's just real quick here on this one. That's not going to happen. Snap your fingers. Oh, everybody's getting saved and we're all rushing down front. That's going to be a relationship. And for some of you, that's where we're at. We're building relationship. You've got to trust me when I say this. And we just got to know each other. So that may take a few days. It may take a few weeks. It may take a season of life. I don't know. But I want you to trust me when I say that you and I both need Jesus. Let's get to know him. You know the best way for us to do that? Get involved in a life group. I know you're like, man, we're talking about, yes, we're talking about life groups again, because then you will know that you are not alone in the journey to become more like Jesus. You will learn to become somebody that's a little more open and willing to pray because you will witness people opening themselves up to pray and to say, here's where I'm failing. Can you help me? And you will learn that you are not the only one battling something. I've said it before in, in multiple ways. I say it all the time to different people in, in, in conversations. One of the greatest parts about my life group, and I've been with some of the husbands now and some of the guys, we've been together for multiple years and we just came together as couples about a year ago or about six months ago now. Every time 
we have that come to Jesus moment, we begin to open ourselves up out of humility, there's always somebody that would say, I was there and God delivered me, let me help you. Every time. And that's the beautiful thing about our life groups. Nobody's perfect, we all come together, we all grow in Jesus. We learn to be Christ in community. For you this morning, let me just wrap up and say this. This could be a day of total freedom for you. If you've been showing favoritism, you might want to come up front and just confess that to the Lord, whether on the prayer here at the altar. Maybe you've shown favoritism to a a specific person and, and you've alienated them. And you want to say, God, you put them in my path. And I know that that you want me to share something with them. You may want to pray for that person. You want to put that name on the cross and we'll join you with that prayer and saying, we're going to pray together that they would experience God's grace and love, not the sin of favoritism. Maybe for some of you, it's, it's a day that we think about our families. Maybe it's a, a situation where you've kind of felt like the unfavored. Why don't you come feel the favor of God for, for a change? Because then he'll open your eyes to what your family's been for you all along or give you opportunities to minister to your family that maybe they don't deserve it, but it's what God needs you to do. But you would come today and you would pray and you would maybe leave a prayer request on the cross, whatever the situation may be. Maybe you've never been shown that you're the favorite. I'm going to tell you right now, you are God's favorite. God gave you and he loves you so much that he was willing to give his son, Jesus Christ, for you. That whosoever would believe in him would not die, would not missed by one, but would cross the line and have eternity with him based on that relationship with Jesus Christ. And if that's you today, we'd love to pray with you about that. We've got prayer counselors that'll be here. I'll be up front. We've got some trusted friends that they'll, they're right beside you. They would pray with you if you'd ask. Maybe you could do that today and you would leave here knowing the greatest relationship of all, that would be the one with Jesus.